Thank you so much for joining us this week. We're so glad that you're here to listen. As always, be sure to like us on Facebook at Southern Hills United Methodist Church and visit our website at www.shumcokc.org to keep up to date with what's going on. The scriptures are holy and before we consider them, we should pray. Let's do that now. God, we're grateful because we already know that we are sojourners in a land that is not our home. Sometimes it takes us a little while to wake up to that. Sometimes it takes us a little while to understand what's happening, but it doesn't take us very long to recognize the longing in our spirit for something more, something different, something better. Because it doesn't take very long to recognize that our spirit is aware that there has to be something better than this. I want to lift up everyone, feeling the call, the pervenient grace of the Holy Spirit reaching out and tugging on the strings of our heart, saying, I think, I, I think there is, there is more, there is better, this is not how things are supposed to be. So for all of those who are feeling that right now, all of those who are thinking about stepping off, about changing their direction and taking a step toward your calling to change their ethic and change their circumstance. Those who are standing on the shores, looking out at the vast and stormy seas of the divine and are ready to set sail, God, I want to lift them up. And I pray that as a result of our time together today, you would give them courage, that your Holy Spirit would fill their hearts, that you would fill their minds, that you would touch their spirit, and that you would give them the courage they need to follow. Because the call, your call, is real and right. There is more. For all those of us who are just now beginning to wonder if there could be something more, I pray, God, that the call, the persistent and consistent call of your Spirit would lead us to the vast and stormy seas of the divine so that we might stand on those shores and look out at the waters of your Spirit and begin to wonder what life might look like if we were to set sail on them. Let that happen and let the Spirit of the Most High God be present with us today as we study the teachings that you and followers of you like us left behind 
so that we could learn. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Have you noticed that I kind of took a directional shift from stories of faith to stories of our faith? And I've been enjoying that. I'm probably going to stick with that for a little while because it's given us a great opportunity to take a look at some of the stories of our faith. This month in particular, we're taking a look at stories of perseverance. So as we do that, I want to spend a little bit of time talking with you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. As I was reading through this today, um, as Pastor Ireland was kind of was uh, teaching us through that this morning, and I'm reading through it, and I thought, man, they write Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so many times in that small passage, I think. I can just imagine when they were sitting around, you know, writing this and editing it, somebody said, you know, we should write this as many times as possible. Somebody, this is how it would work today. Somebody else said, well, why would we do that? They know who we're talking about. Well, because somebody's going to have to read it, and they're going to have to say it over and over and over again. And Abednego is one of the most difficult names in the history of our faith to pronounce. Why? Because if you grew up in Sunday school, you say Abendigo. And you read it like a bend, like bend, you know, bend your elbow. You say Abendigo, and you read it today and realized that the N and the D are juxtaposed, and his name is actually Abednego. And you're like, I don't know if I can change decades of, of social Christian conditioning to start saying his name differently, right? It's a great story. It's a great story about perseverance and about faith, about the faithful perseverance of a people living in a diaspora, right? So what is a diaspora? That's a word that has been used by theologians over the centuries to describe what it means to be sojourners in a land that is not your own. The Jewish people at this time had been overpowered, overwhelmed, and were being ruled by a foreign government, not their own. This government had a different set of laws. They had a a different religion. They worshipped what they believed to be different gods. And so in the midst of this, Israel, the people of Israel, ancient Jewish people, are living in the midst of that rule, trying to hold faith, trying to keep faith with the ethic of the kingdom of heaven that they'd been taught by God, by the God of their ancestors, passed down from their ancestors. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In the midst of a land where the ethic of that land is not the ethic of the kingdom, that they are citizens of. And so in order to follow the ethic of that kingdom, we've been talking about that a lot this year. One of our themes of the year is understanding, taking a look at the difference between the broken ethic of a wounded world and the healing ethic of the kingdom of heaven. Israel is that. They're sojourners in a land not their own. They're supposed to be living according to an ethic that's not accepted by the land that they're living in and the people who are ruling the land that they live in. And so they're constantly in conflict. Do I follow the ethic of the kingdom as I understand it? An ethic that was taught to my ancestors by the God that we follow, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who brought us up out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, that God. Or do I follow the ethic of the the land that I now live in and the people who rule it because they're not the same thing. It can be so attractive because that's what you are. You are a sojourner in a land not your own. Now you've heard me teach about this because it's so tempting. 
It's so tempting to say, you know, Jesus tells us in the scriptures that we are to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. We need to remove ourselves from the world. Hasn't Pastor Matt been talking throughout this whole year about the difference between the broken ethic of a wounded world and how we're supposed to change direction, follow the persistent call of the Spirit, and take one step after another step after another step in which we gradually begin to learn what the ethic of the kingdom is because the Spirit helped us to recognize that there has to be more than this. Christ came and said, you're right, there is more than this. So didn't he say we're supposed to leave that ethic and go do something else? Jesus said we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We shouldn't have anything to do with that. Except that Jesus said, you're going to be in the world. God's purpose is not averse to the world that God created. God's purpose is not averse to the people that God created in the world that God created, which was the original Garden of Eden. If you read Sandy Richter's, my favorite Old Testament theologian, she says, God's final intent is the same as God's original intent. What you see evidenced in Eden is what God is even now in the process of working us back toward. God doesn't hate the world. But in the midst, Genesis says, that things changed when we decided to do what was only God's purview to do. We decided we knew enough to make decisions about, uh, about what to do in life apart from God. That's it in a nutshell. I've taught a lot about this, and I'll teach about it again. When that happened, everything changed. Why? Because we don't know everything. If I were to ask you if you know everything, you would say no. If you asked me if I know everything, I would say no. But how often? You know, somebody once told me that you play a number of different roles in the lives of the people you know. And I'd never thought about that before. Somebody said, uh, they said, I was reading through this, and they, and they said, in some person's life, you're the hero of their story. In some person's life, you are the supporting character in their story. And yes, in somebody's life, you're the villain. And you're all of those things at any given time. And so I wonder, you know, if you said to me, Matt, do you know everything? I would say, absolutely, I don't know everything. But how often would someone else describe you in the opposite way? Oh, yeah, they act like they know everything all the time. When we live according to the broken ethic of a wounded world, the results of that ethic are more brokenness. I've always wondered about this. And I've taught this before. I've always wondered about how this works because we don't believe that the church is full of perfect people. I don't even know for sure how we would colloquially define that because the Bible defines perfect differently than I think we would define perfect. We don't think that, right? We often teach about the church as if it is a, a place where people who are in the process of becoming what they have not yet become. How many times have you heard me say that it is okay to not yet be what the Holy Spirit is helping you to become? We are on a journey of growth, healing, and transformation being transformed by the transformative love of the Holy Spirit that is proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional. We are not yet what we're going to be. It's okay to be growing into what you have not yet become. But when we come together as the church, that means we're all in varying states of growth, which means we're also all in varying states of being healed from woundedness and even brokenness. And so we get upset sometimes because we think that the people of God, when we come together as a church, should never behave in broken ways. And I've always wondered about that. 
Because we're people in the process of being healed by the transformative love of Christ. When you put people together who are wounded even though we're being healed, who have been living according to the broken ethic of a wounded world even though we're learning something different, when broken people come together, they sometimes do broken things. Your organization is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. Your life is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. So here's what happens when you and I are people who are, yes, even in the process of being healed, maybe we haven't yet decided to turn. Maybe we're just still sitting here in what we were born into, which the Scriptures say is the broken ethic of a wounded world. We've learned to believe that one, one type of behavior is a normal type of behavior, and we follow that. We've learned to survive in the midst of it, even though we know that it can't be right. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example based on something that we all recently lived through. Have you ever noticed, particularly in the last election cycle, that the political discourse of America has become terribly divisive? And people will say, oh, no, no, you know, people are, are just representing the hearts of the politicians. And I want to think when I see that, no, I don't think that's what's happening. I think the politicians are representing the hearts of the people. Almost as if. The ethic we follow is to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. When was the last time, let me update that language a little bit, when was the last time you had an emotional reaction and wished that you would have kept your mouth shut just a little bit longer? You've heard me say this before, what happens when you shut your mouth, your ears will open. That's what I was taught when a kid. When I was a kid, there was a book that came out a long time ago. It said, everything I need to know about life I learned in kindergarten. One of the things I learned when I was in kindergarten is that if I shut my mouth, my ears will open. Apparently, it's hard for those two things to be open at the same time. When I shut my mouth, my ears will open, and I'll start to hear, and I'll start to learn. But it's almost as if there is this ethic where we have learned to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. When that happens, because we have an opinion, we've got to forcefully share that opinion all the time. When we come together as a people who are a broken people and we put policies together, the policies that are put together by broken people end up becoming broken policies. Jesus will say throughout the Scriptures things like, you know what, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out and throw it. It's better for you not to have that eye. Jesus doesn't actually mean to gouge your eye out. Don't do that. Translate that and update it. What is Jesus saying? Something like this. Pastor, we have to have policies and practices in place. Even if we don't yet know God, you said it's okay to not yet be what we are becoming. We have to have some policies and procedures in place. What does Jesus mean when Jesus is teaching about the eye? Something like this. It would be better for you to not have policies at all than to have broken ones. Because broken policies produce broken results. Your organization is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. What is the alternative? Then what is the Because we have to know what to do. Jesus would say and did throughout the scriptures something like this. Your time would be better spent, Jesus says, sitting at the feet of Christ and learning what you don't yet know. Well, what are we supposed to do? That's why Jesus said it would be better for you not to have policies at all than to have broken ones. Here's the first lesson we get about perseverance out of this story. You can't
can't do both. It is so tempting, particularly when the ethic of the kingdom of heaven is so different from the ethic that is normal, the broken ethic of a wounded world. We're all born into that. We're taught to not only accept it, but to figure out how to survive it, which means that as we've talked about, we develop coping mechanisms in order to make that happen. But it's different. The ethic of the kingdom is different than the broken ethic of a wounded world. You cannot do both. It is so tempting because the broken ethic of the wounded world is what we're taught to believe is normal. Even though our spirit knows that's not the case, our spirit knows there has to be something better, our spirit knows that things like divisiveness and judgmentalism and extreme anger and hatred and an inability to work together for the common good under the guidance of the one who knows more than we do is not normal. We know that, but we don't know what else to do because we've been taught that it is. Jesus says, you're right, it isn't. You're going to have to turn. So it's tempting, especially as we take a step toward the ethic of the kingdom, which is, by the way, what is normal. Your spirit knows the broken ethic of a wounded world is not. You've been taught to believe it is. You've learned to survive it. You've been taught coping mechanisms passed down by your ancestors that help you to survive it. When Jesus comes to confront the ethic, have you ever noticed that when Jesus is confronting the ethic of brokenness, it's always the, the broken ethic of a wounded world. It's not the ethic of the ruling Roman Empire that Jesus speaks so frequently against. It is always the ethics of the religious institutions that have been taught and passed down and evolved away from what they were originally intended to be. God gives an ethic to the people of Israel, but people who aren't yet where they're going to be, who are still broken and are still wounded, begin to interpret that and say, we've got to have policies and practices in place. So they do that, and those practices and policies that are put in place by broken people are themselves broken as they get passed down after generation to generation after generation they evolve into something even more broken to the point that when Christ comes Christ speaks not to the Roman Empire but to the religious leaders and says you have you have, this has evolved so much that you're effectively teaching the opposite of what you were given by God who is Christ it is God in Christ who's saying to them, the laws I gave you, you are now teaching the opposite of. How does Jesus say that? Several instances, particularly in Matthew, Jesus goes to them and says, you have been, he says it this way, you've been condemning innocent people because of your misinterpretation of the law. Broken people build broken ethics. Because any organization is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. Broken ethics produce a broken outcome, which produces, in turn, more brokenness. Something is never con continually broken and rebroken, with the final result being wholeness. That's not how that works. So what does Jesus say? Because we say, we got to know what to do. Jesus says, there is something for you to do. You'd be better off not trying to put broken policies in place, Jesus says, and sitting at my feet and learning. Because when you learn, when you follow that nudge and you turn, that's what repentance means. It means to turn. And this is the context in which repentance is used. Repentance doesn't mean you're sorry. Being sorry means you're sorry. 
being apologetic means your repentance means to turn. I've realized that there is another way. And if I keep going this way, this, this way is going to keep producing the same result. Jesus says there's another way. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm sitting on the shores of the vast and stormy seas. I'm going to set sail. I'm going to take one step after another step. And here's what happens. James talks about it as if a light is coming on, right? And it's not like the minute you turn and start working your way toward the healing ethic of the kingdom, which, by the way, every step you take toward will help you to understand that it is that ethic that is actually normal and the one you've been in is not. So you take one step at a time toward that ethic, following the leading of Christ, and it's like the light comes on incrementally. James talks about how we're walking around in the darkness and we don't even know that. But when we start listening to the teachings of Christ, which is why we're told to do that, they will know you are my followers because you, you do what I have taught you to do. They'll know that you're my followers because of the way that you love other people. If you're my followers, listen to, act on, and live into my teachings. That's what Jesus says over and over. So I listen to the teachings of Christ, and I start implementing them one step after another step. The more I do that, the more the light begins to come on incrementally. If, to use that metaphor, all the lights came on at once, I would be blinded. But God, in God's great wisdom, knows that when the light comes on incrementally, not only do I begin to understand more about what I'm doing, but I begin to understand more about why I'm doing it because I can see more. As the light comes up, I see more. One of the things I begin to see is that when I pay attention to the teachings of Christ and the leading of Christ and getting to know Christ, and I focus, that's what we mean when we say focusing on Christ. When I'm focusing on Christ and I respond accordingly, things in my life are better and things around me are better. The world around me begins to heal. When I take my focus off of Christ, the opposite happens, and I begin to learn that as I slowly step toward that ethic. But as I first begin to step away, it can be so tempting. It is so easy to think, well, everybody else thinks this is normal. Maybe I can do both. But the ethic of the kingdom is perilous. That's the second lesson. The ethic of the kingdom is perilous. You can't do both. Because the ethic of the kingdom will do two things as you start to live into it. The first of them is that it will transform you. When you start living according to the teachings of Christ, not the teachings that have been passed on and evolved in a broken way from those who didn't know Christ to begin with, when you start responding to the teachings of Christ, then the teachings of Christ, the ethic of the kingdom and the love of Christ is going to begin to transform and heal you. As you begin to heal, the ethic of the kingdom that you're walking towards or sailing towards, to use whichever of those two metaphors fits you the best, as you're walking towards, sailing towards the ethic of the kingdom, every step you take, with every step, that ethic becomes a more normal part of your life, and you begin to see life and that more abundantly so happening within you. The other thing that happens is that life and that more abundantly so will happen around you. So why is the ethic of the kingdom perilous? Because the ethic of the kingdom is a healing ethic. It doesn't just heal you. Through you, it heals what is around you. And so if I am in, if I have learned not only to survive the broken ethic of a wounded world, but I've learned to thrive in the midst of that. I've used those rules, created coping mechanisms that have given me a sense of power, then the healing ethic of the kingdom is a threat to that. We see that in the people who are influencing Nebuchadnezzar, also a hard name to say, to take action against the Jewish people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
you can't do this, Nebuchadnezzar. You've got to do something different here. Why? Because they're threatening our social norms. They're threatening our laws and rules and practices and customs. They're threatening the way we do what we do. You can't let that continue to happen. So what should we do? We're going to create, a, a, in this case, a decree. You have to give feel. We're, we're going to encourage you to do exactly what they can't do to see if they'll comply or not. Are we going to be able to force them back into the broken ethic of a wounded world? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say no. Because every, te- every step we've taken toward the healing ethic of the kingdom has been better for us. You actually see that at the beginning of Daniel when Daniel and his friends are told they have to eat differently than they're told to eat. And they say, okay, let's try this. What if for just a little while we eat the way we're told to eat and you let everybody else eat the way you want them to eat and then we'll check and see at the end who is in better shape. And at the end of that time, sure enough, they are. Every time we take a step toward living out the teachings of Christ, the end result is better, not just for us, but it's healing for the world. This is important. Because Nebuchadnezzar, as a result of the end of this, when Nebuchadnezzar sees that there's another person in the fire, which I'm going to get to in just a second, when Nebuchadnezzar sees that, he changes. The ethic of the kingdom is not perilous for Nebuchadnezzar. It's perilous for the broken ethic itself of a wounded world. That's what it heals. Nebuchadnezzar sees this. Now, he's going to have some trouble later. The the story about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den is yet to come. Just three more chapters down the road, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get roped into doing this by some tricky people who cause him to issue another decree for the purpose of hurting Daniel. He doesn't realize that's going to happen. Daniel falls into this trap. Nebuchadnezzar is now uh, bound by... By the law he wrote to punish Daniel. He doesn't want to do it. In fact, after he throws Daniel into the lion's den, this is chapter 6, after he throws Daniel into the lion's den, he goes home and fasts all night. Scriptures say he has no pleasure. The next morning, he runs to the lion's den and opens it and shouts inside, Daniel, did your God protect you? He's already had an experience. Why? Because he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. He was so angry that they wouldn't do what they did that he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it's supposed to be. Anytime you see three or seven in the scriptures, that's a symbol of completeness. So what does that mean? The furnace was as hot as it could possibly get. So emotional was his reaction that he ended up killing three of his strongest soldiers. What do we get out of that? Well, he was emotionally reactive. That's an ethic we're learning well. Because a broken ethic of a wounded world says, be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Be slow to listen. Judge often. Tell everyone what you think. And make judgments based on incomplete information. Interestingly, our scriptures say the opposite, right? You know that. The scriptures say, no, 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 no. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Why? Because when you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you will be slow to become angry. Two things are going to happen. When you're quick to listen, you're going to learn things that you didn't know. You're going to perceive things you previously hadn't perceived when you're quick to listen. When you're slow to speak, you're going to have time to process what you just learned. That's why the scriptures tell us to do that. We don't just, as followers of Christ, this is important, we don't just process what we've learned by ourselves. We process that together with the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're slow to become angry. 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The scriptures also say never to let the sun go down on your anger. Specificity of words is important, particularly in the scriptures. When the scriptures use a particular word instead of another word, there's a reason. You know what they don't say? They don't say never let the sun go down on your argument. The ethic of the kingdom is different from the ethic of the world. You should sometimes let the sun go down on your argument, but not your anger. Sometimes letting the sun go down on your argument is the best thing for an argument that you're in. Why? Because it gives you time to process what you learned when you closed your mouth and opened your ears so that you don't become angry. Together with the Holy Spirit, you learn what you didn't know. The ethic of the kingdom is healing. When you begin, let's just take that one example, and there are so many, but let's just take that one. If you were to change the, the ethic of the uh, broken ethic of a wounded world, which says... Be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Updated, translated, judge often and share it with everybody forcefully. You change that ethic and start walking towards Christ. And the light begins, begins to come on. Christ is going to say, no, 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 let's do this. Here's the ethic I want you to learn. I've been teaching it for centuries. been teaching it for millennia to the followers who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it goes like this. Let's do the opposite of that. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you implemented that in your closest relationship, you would find your closest relationship improved within a month. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. I'm going to ask questions, or sometimes just be quiet. And then be grateful. Pastor, how can I be grateful when somebody who's talking to me is obviously upset about something? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be thankful that you shared what you were sharing with me. And then I'm going to step back for a minute. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think about a couple of things that are important to me. One of them is, what is the person really saying? Because just because you had an emotional reaction to something doesn't mean that as a follower of Christ, that's the best response for me to have in return. So I'm going to think about that a little bit. And then I'm going to respond after thinking about that in a way that speaks life into the circumstance. Why can I do that? Because I didn't respond emotionally myself in that moment. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And in so doing, provide at least a more helpful example of the way that a person who's seeking to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ might behave in a circumstance like that because others are watching. The normative behavior we learn is so socially conditioned. Other people are watching. When I am quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, not only do I heal, but the world around me begins to heal, and others see that. Nebuchadnezzar saw that. Nebuchadnezzar saw that in spite of his emotional reaction, which just caused problems all over the place, he emotionally reacted so badly, he ended up killing people, and he really wanted to kill other people. He killed people he didn't even intend to kill, and wanted to kill people who ended up not dying. So he throws them into the furnace, right? And he looks in, and he says, oh my gosh, didn't we throw three people in there, and weren't they bound? And everybody's like, yes. And he said, there's a fourth one in there, and that fourth one looks like one of the gods. There was another person in the fire, and they're not being burned. 
and he sees that immediately and refers to their God as the Most High God. This must be the right way to do it. Why? Because when God shows up, when, when you are, um, and this is the third lesson, that there will be another in the fire. The, the, following the ethic of the kingdom is perilous. When you step into that, others are not going to uh, understand, but beyond that, the broken ethic of a wounded world is going to teach a different response than the healing ethic of the kingdom. The broken ethic itself is going to react against the healing ethic of the kingdom in a way that may find you in a place where you don't know what to say. Jesus says this, when you don't worry about what to say when you're brought in front of your accusers, the Holy Spirit is going to give you what to say. Sometimes that means the shutting of the mouth. God will do what God has said that God will do. Maybe that means shutting your mouth. Maybe it means shutting someone else's. Every time I read through the story of Daniel in the lion's den, which again is three chapters later, and I hear or I read about how Daniel's in the lion's den and the king runs to it and opens and, Daniel, are you still alive? Yes, the messenger of the Most High God came and shut the mouths of the lions. I can't help but think that one of the names of God is the Lion of Judah. Here's what happens. When you are thrown to the lions, when you're thrown in the fire, one of the things that God has said that God will do, and God says this a bunch of different ways, don't worry about what to say when you're brought in front of people. I'm going to give you words. And the words I give you, this is what the Holy Spirit says, are going to be transformational, not punishing. One of the things I wonder about us as Christians is what our goal is sometimes because the broken ethic of the wounded world teaches us to punish those who disagree with us because we think that punishment is an effective behavioral modification technique. That's what the broken ethic of a wounded world teaches us when in reality the healing ethic of the kingdom is transformational. Are you seeking to punish or are you seeking to transform? God transforms. Nebuchadnezzar sees there's another in the fire. I wonder. Because what happens when you get thrown to the lions in that way, proverbially speaking, it wasn't a, a proverbial um, throwing of, the, of someone to the lions at all for Daniel. He was thrown in there. When the lion of Judah showed up, there is no way that when the lion of Judah shows up, transformation does not happen. Nebuchadnezzar sees this. Oh my gosh. This must be real. I'm going to change my behavior. When was the last time you realized you were wrong and did a complete 180? Paul does that. Paul is persecuting Christians. And God comes to Paul and says, why are you doing this? And Paul says, I'm doing the Lord's work. And Jesus says, I am the Lord. You're not doing my work. You're doing the opposite of it. Paul changes immediately. Nebuchadnezzar changes immediately. When was the last time you were willing to see that your life is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting? And some of those results are brokenness. And you say, if the results are brokenness. Maybe the process is broken. Maybe I should change. Nebuchadnezzar does that. He does a 180. Paul does that. He does a 180 and starts doing the work of the Lord that he's come to meet, who then transforms, heals, changes him, and the rest of the world as a result. All right, so here's what happens. Here you are. Here I am, born into that broken ethic. We've been taught it's normal. We know it's not. We've learned how to survive it. At least it feels like we have. But then we hear that we're not supposed to be of the world. We're in it, but we're not supposed to be of it. 
Jesus, through the teachings of Christ passed on to us in scriptures and through the provenient grace of God, the Holy Spirit actively at work in your life right now, draws our heart away. This, this isn't right. There's another alternative. So we consider it and think maybe, maybe, what if there is another alternative? What if that's real? What if that draw is real and I gave it a shot? What if I turned and took a look at the vast and stormy seas and thought, how much different would my life be if I set sail on them? So I do. I take a step. And each step I take, the light comes on a little more and I learn a little more. And I think that Christ is leading me away from the broken ethic of the world, only to find with each step that I take and each incremental increase of the light around me that helps me to understand not only the what, but why. Why are we doing this, God? With every step I take, and with every step, that feeling of the ethic of the kingdom lived out in my life, the teachings of Christ, that's how Jesus says it, the teachings of Christ lived out in my life starts to feel more normal than what I came from. I take another step, and I take another step, and the light continues to come on. I get to know God better, and I'm watching the results of living out the teachings of Christ or the ethic of the kingdom in my life. It's transforming me. It's transforming the world around me. And then the light comes on enough for me to realize that this whole time God hasn't been leading me away from the world, but right Right back into the heart of it. Let's pray together. Thank you. For the great love that you have for wounded hearts. Thank you. For confronting us when even though we're trying to survive, trying to learn a healthier way, but unknowingly or knowingly, participate in creating broken processes because we're wounded in even broken people that produce broken results. So give us courage. To understand that stepping away from the broken ethic of a wounded world means doing things differently than maybe even we thought we were taught to do them. Because it means following you. It means knowing you. It means living according to your teachings. It means that when we take a look at your teachings and what we hear about them from those who know you and have known you. And we say, it sounds like this is not exactly what was passed on in our spirit. We can look at you and say, Christ, is that right? And you say, no, you need to turn and follow me this way. And I'll explain to you. If you sit at my feet, you say, I will explain to you what to do next. Give us the courage to step out of our processes. To step out of an ethic that is only producing more brokenness. And try something different. Try following you. Try taking a look at what you teach us, where your ethic is the opposite of the ethic that we learned, so that we can maybe even be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Just watch and see what that does. Somebody. Thousands of people who worship with us around the country and around the world, there is a somebody thinking right now about taking a step away from the path they're on and toward where you're leading. God, I pray for courage 
I pray for wisdom. I pray for hope. I pray for a renewal of your people who begin to listen to your teaching and live it out so that we can be transformed and healed. So the world around us can be transformed and healed. So the example that we're giving is an example of healing because we chose to follow you right back into the heart of the world. In your name we pray. We're glad that you joined us this week. Please be sure to like and share our podcast so that other people can enjoy the messages. Thank you so much.